In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Betches Media presents... Chrissy Teigen referred to Donald Trump as a pussy-ass bitch. Look, he's a sick puppy. He, he, shouldn't, be, he shouldn't be there. Well, I lost half a day of skiing. I'm going to punch him out and I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to be happy. The Betches Sub Podcast. A speaker has not been elected. Hello, welcome to the Betches Up Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. I am Amanda Duberman, the news director at Betches. I'm Elise Morales, a comedian and writer of the Betches Up newsletter. And today we are joined by a guest co-host. It is Grace Weinstein, who many of you will know and recognize as a host and producer with The Recount. And uh, others might know her as a prolific, but perhaps morning Celtics fan. Today. <laughs> Things are looking rough for me right now. I can't <laughs> lie. I'm in the pits. And I know a lot of our listeners are like, Grace Weinstein, Grace Weinstein, and then heard your voice and they're like, yeah, that one. Yeah. <laughs> it is my voice enters the room first. It yes. exceeds me at this point. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming to join us. We're huge stands of the recount. I feel like we're really, you know, like peers just like trying to totally. trying to survive. We're always like, I'm like, are you guys doing this for the algorithm? And they're like, yep. Yeah. Like, All right, we're gonna try that too. The ever-changing <laughs> algorithm, the mystery. That is the algorithm. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Well, we're going to start today. The COVID emergency is over. Wow. It's over. Somebody just decided that we woke up and the 77,000 cases, yeah. It's like, has anybody told COVID that? <laughs> I know. I would love someone to get that message to COVID. I mean, I've actually, and I, I think I've already said this on the pod, but because of my allergies, I've been taking oh, yeah. more COVID tests and it's been like, it, it's not over for me because I keep being like- <laughs> pandemic looms. Yeah, exactly. Because I keep being like, do I have COVID? And every day it says, no. You and just, that nasal swat is junked up yeah, in my nose. Nasty. It's awful. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah, it has been approximately 1154 days since wow. March 13th, 2020. Wow. 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 And it's, I don't really know, you know, who decides when there's a button on the pandemic? It depends. I mean, it depends who you are. I know a lot of people still uh, don't feel fully safe, but um. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, that it is wild because I do feel like as a society, we've like taken the the height of COVID years and just like, like if we're living in one <laughs> right. timeline that's down here, we've moved it into this other timeline. We're like, that was that was up there and yeah. we'll probably unpack that. In exactly. Like maybe 10 to 15 years never. when all of us have or a freak never. out. Never. Yeah, exactly. We have talked in, in many, many occasions about our March 13th issues, Grace. Bring us back. Where were you? Tell us about your day, this, that March week. I love to talk about this March <laughs> week. March 9th, I was broken up with. <gasps> so what a perfect start to the week. Oh, oh, right into lockdown, just full throttle. Yeah, the, being all the air just left sad. the room. Oh, my God. Um, in hindsight, it was actually a, a welcome thing. You get over it quite quickly when there's sure. nothing else to focus on. Yeah. Uh, I remember March 10th was my mom's birthday and there were six primaries because we were in the height yeah. of election season. So we actually worked an all-nighter at the recount. I was at the office till about 4.30. I'm actually more night. appalled that you were broken up with the day before that. I and you had to work a day like that. Lack of consideration. Yeah. Six primaries. I'm like, South Carolina is pulling up today. Come on. <laughs> 
Lindsey Graham I have to spend the next eight hours with and you're going to do this for me now. Yeah. Absolutely. And then March 11th, NBA shut down. March 11th, we talk Grace. about a lot. It is 11th. That's the date, yeah. Because it was like uh, Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson. NBA right. shut down. Sarah Palin gets mask removed on the mask singer no. it was harvey weinstein gets sentenced it was a day for the book stunning wow wow i like again i'm like i feel like i moved everything into such a crazy timeline that i'm like mm-hmm. oh my god i forgot that like rita wilson and tom hanks were right at the beginning That's and they when were the pandemic like, started oh, yeah. they were like in australia Stuck there? and then they were like dispatching from australia being oh, like no. hello yeah. We're still okay. Hostage video <laughs> vibes for it sure. Really and we all genuinely were like, it was a dark time. We're all like, we might no longer have Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson. <laughs> but they made it back. But they made it back. And you know, this was another, this week was another dense, a very dense mm-hmm. news week. Oh, yeah. Should we, should we get into it? Yeah. So, uh, We've been starting with numbers lately, and today's number is 13, which is actually a a lucky number today because it is the number of charges levied against Congressman George Santos. Katara (laughs) Bravace herself in a federal indictment unsealed on Long Island yesterday. We we are just giddy about this for a range of reasons. Santos, (laughs) just, you know, some facts here. Santos turned himself into federal custody before seeing a judge and being released, but he can't leave like New York and D.C. He can kind of go like between his home and the office. We've covered George Santos's lies and crimes against animal rescues at length, but these charges specifically relate to wire fraud, money laundering, stealing public funds, and lying on federal disclosure forms. I feel like we got some new information here, too. For one, Santos and a deputy set up a fake political action committee through which they could accept larger campaign donations, but they never registered it with FEC, and they were pocketing the money to pay for luxury goods and credit oh, yeah. card payments. Also, he defrauded the state of New York. I don't think we knew about this one. No. Did we? No. This is unbelievable. He pretended to be unemployed for nearly <laughs> nine months. <laughs> he collected unemployment. That really gets me. Oh, God. He's he's a, he's a drag queen, but he, he cosplays unemployment <laughs> during the height of the pandemic to fraudulently receive unemployment checks to the tune of $24,000. Wow. He was fabricating evidence of his unemployment on a weekly basis. And my thing is, like, you know how hard that is? You know how, like, that demands consistency, reliability. Yes. It really does. Because I've been on unemployment (laughs) in New York before. And, like, you do have to log in every week. You have to create a little chart. There's, like, a lot that you have to do. So it's really funny to me. Like, he was dedicated to getting that $24,000, which is also funny in the scheme of how much he was stealing from everywhere else. It's like, do you also need to do an unemployment scheme? And he was employed. for He had a job in Florida that he was earning $120,000 a year for. Yes. Well, and also, what I also think is funny is that to be simultaneously, like, on the one hand, you're claiming unemployment in New York, but then you're in your forms to Congress, he says he was a millionaire. Oh, of course. So on the one hand, he's pretending to be unemployed. And on the other hand, he's like, I'm a rich millionaire. He's like, no, I'm one of those millionaires that defrauded the COVID program. Yeah, yeah. a girl who can do both exactly. is the answer. One of my favorite parts of this, though, is Republicans are constantly always out here being like, we hate people that take advantage of the welfare system in America. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's your own friend, you yeah. guys. That is George Santos himself taking advantage of the social safety net in America that they are desperately trying to yeah. And, you know, as I was reading this, like we've said on our podcast a lot when we try to sort of defend against that talking point, we're like, 
where I was like, you know, you know how hard it is to actually get unemployment? Like, you really have to be. George Santos definitely is the one guy that, like, belies the, like, no, there's really not a lot of fraud. And, like, on the whole, there is not. They definitely overstate it, which makes the fact that George Santos himself, who is one of the co-sponsors of the Protecting Taxpayers and Victims of Unemployment Fraud Act. Oh, I didn't he, know that. Who needs writers? Who needs them? Well, they're on strike anyway. I know. So Just kidding. We support you. Yeah. Yeah. I know. <laughs> he is so dedicated to scheming and scamming his way through life that it's like, it's hard not to respect the dedication to that. Oh, sure. He has mm-hmm. one goal and it is to scam, to defraud, to lie. And he does it constantly. <laughs> and the thing about a good drag queen, she knows her audience. Mm-hmm. And he is well fucking aware, excuse me, that the it's American people love a grift. Yeah. They yes. love a grift. So he is getting these we people. We can't get enough. Go, oh, can't get enough. True grift, baby. Yeah. And it's <laughs> like, he's seeing these people myself yeah. perhaps included being like go off queen yeah <laughs> yes. that government and he's just gonna keep doing it yes uh-huh. also on the drag queen point i feel like a good drag queen has like a character game that she's yes. always going back to and he message is, like, discipline yes exactly and he's like my game is i am lying i am lying <laughs> to you and he really is um he really does go back to that every single time and I respect that dedication well Grace submitted one of my favorite potential drag names for him if Mm -hmm. he were to to you know want to switch it up which was federal penny tentiary yes that's really good I also loved um oh what was my favorite materially false I loved that one (laughs) because he provided materially false statements frauderica the laundress (laughs) grin you know what you know what's funny I asked laundress is really like regal that is is the name of an overly expensive laundry detergent brand that they pump into laundromats you can see him doing (laughs) yeah oh oh definitely absolutely you do the the spawn pivot to influencing Mm -hmm. I just like oh I would die die to be seated next to this man on a plane I mean, because you know, fatal flaw. I want to crack open a shitty bottle of Pinot Grigio and drink it with him. Yeah, that's my fatal flaw. Unfortunately, it yeah. would be fun. I know. We were talking about, but before we started recording, just the tone that he took in his press conference yesterday, which was so hilarious. He was. Someone was like asking about the charges, and he's like, "Well, they're just charges. Are you accusing me?" Because innocent until proven guilty. And I'm actually happy to be charged because now it's my time to defend myself. And no, I'm not going to resign. He tried to <laughs> fundraise off of it, which is a change. Well, set uh, by a, a really good example. Yeah, Donald Trump's yeah, favorite thing yeah. to do. One of my favorite things he said in the press conference also was, I will clear my name. Mm-hmm. And that ma- made me laugh so hard because it's like, since the day we've met you, We've been trying to get you to clear your name. Anthony DeVolder? Clear it up. Mm-hmm. Katara? Clear that name, please. That's yeah, which exactly name? what we which want name? you to do. It's oh, so nuts. funny. It's oh. so funny. I mean, so interestingly, like, he is, doesn't have any intention to resign. Kevin McCarthy hasn't called for Santos's resignation, but did say yesterday, Santos has a lot going on. I think he has. <laughs> I think he has other things to focus on in his life than running for re-election. One would fucking hope, but like Republicans are notorious for like running for election when like they've got eight people suing them, their ex-wife is suing them and making allegations. He's this is there's no way that he resigns even if he goes to jail, which he's right. not legally and required then he just to do. Votes, he can but he's still, on no committees. Yeah, he can still like be in the house if he's in jail. Um There's no way that he does not remain. No. There's none. I think the complicated part for Republicans who very obviously like 
have a distaste for him. Yeah. Like we've seen him sitting alone and these kind of sad <laughs> Just like images. Puppy. But they're in a kind of panic state right now because they actually need him. If you look at the numbers, Republicans have a razor thin majority in the House. He was actually the deciding vote to move forward their debt ceiling nuclear mm -hmm. bomb. Mm -hmm. um, so they have to be like, we hate this guy, but unfortunately we need him. So it'll be really interesting if it develops that they'll just keep saying, you know, talking around the subject of whether he should resign or if they're eventually going to be forced to actually come to his defense. Yeah. And it's also just like if he if something happens where he literally can't be present and they need his vote, like screwed. they're screwed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that I think that they're just trying to hold on to him for as long as they can kind of can so just that his like tick on the cnn like that's all it really <laughs> yeah, is like right. watching the number go up that's all he is today. right because yeah if he does go to jail he can't vote in the house and so then they lose that vote that they needed regardless right. so it's like what does it mean to them to have he did flip a seat so it's like what does it mean to them to have that seat technically flipped if it's not actually translating to a vote of any kind. So you're saying that George Santos may actually stave off a default that could cause global economics collapse? Maybe it depends on how quickly this One trial runs through. If the Democrats yeah. offer to pay for his filler for a year, he I might know. say yes. The filler's, the filler's crazy. Well, who he needs to look his, at that migration policy. Who paid for his $500,000 bond? That's what I want to know. Three unidentified people. Thanks for bringing that up. Who paid George so Santos' bond? bondsman? No, he... <laughs> <laughs> no bail bonds 101 that would be amazing oh, Jackie Brown amazing <laughs> trying to see I, mean, I I would pay so much money I would watch a full I would watch 90 minutes of George Santos interacting uh, with a bail bondsman but, but before we move on from this what is what is your favorite George Santos scam because there really is just an embarrassment to choose from we've got the 9-11 I died twice to 9-11 the animal stuff the Jewish which no. one tickles you the most? Volleyball champion yeah. at Baruch College. You know what? That is so funny because there's literally no material gain to pretending <laughs> that you're a volleyball champion from Baruch College. Like there is kind of in New York to being like, my mom was in 9-11. Like there's some cachet you get sure, from yeah, that. He's yeah. in a Jewish district. So that's why he lied about being Jewish. But the volleyball champion is such a funny one because there's no reason to The volleyball that. lobby is stronger right. than you think it is in New York State, apparently. <laughs> there's really no reason Bizarre. to say that. My favorite George Santos quote of all time is when the drag queen stuff first came out and they catch him at the airport and he goes, I was young and I had fun at a festival. Sue me for having a life, which is my favorite. I think you should uh, say sue me for having a life to all of it. For sure. Uh, this is 13 uh, counts. Sue me for having a life. Uh, <laughs> fucking furious at these studios that are depriving us of an SNL episode with Bo and Ye oh, this I know. weekend. Oh, I know. Oh, Pay the writers. Get Bo and back up, please. <laughs> please. Please. All right. We'll move on to our main news. So on Tuesday, we saw the legal system hold Trump accountable for claims of sexual misconduct for the very first time which is pretty shocking. A civil jury in E. Jean Carroll's defamation lawsuit found Trump liable, both for sexually abusing Carroll and for defaming her as he defended himself against her allegations. So she was like, he did this. He, he said, no, I didn't. And she was like, you're defaming me. And she says that came at like a considerable personal cost to her. We had her on the podcast, uh, I think when she filed that lawsuit mm -hmm. a while ago. And she sort of detailed how she felt that like, not only was she traumatized and it affected her ability to earn income, but at the time, he was like still had influence in New York, and she felt like it was affecting her ability to access more opportunities. So this jury was made up of six men and three women, and they reached a verdict in just a few hours. 
The jury did not find Trump liable for rape, which was what Carol called his attack. You can read about the specific differences legally between rape, sexual abuse, and forcible touching, but it is triggering as hell, so I'm not going to read those descriptions. (laughs) It is tough. But the civil jury concluded that it just only had a preponderance of evidence to confirm the sexual abuse charge. Trump and his allies have recently seized on that to try to frame this as a loss. They're really trying to make it look like she lost because this is what she wants. And actually, he won. It proved that he's like, this proves I didn't rape her. We actually haven't really covered the trial on the podcast yet. We were kind of waiting for this, but it was pretty horrifying. The slut shaming was out of control. It was really tough to listen to. Trump echoed a lot of that last night. Uh, the judge in this case told jurors that they're allowed to identify themselves after the trial, but I thought this was funny. He said to them, my advice is to you is not to. <laughs> I would not. That's great advice. <laughs> yeah. That's really good advice. Yeah. I personally would not identify myself. No, no so does. Trump made some pretty upsetting comments about this last night, but let's like revisit the joy we felt getting this verdict. Elise and I were actually doing a photo shoot for something. Yeah. And we as we both we were all looking at our phone and then our photographer was like, that's good. <laughs> Keep doing because we were like grinning, grinning ear yeah. to ear. But I mean huge, huge day. Tuesday was a great day for we, accountability. We were literally doing a sub photo shoot yeah. where Millie was supposed to hold her phone and we were trying to pretend like we were reacting to breaking news. And then she was like, oh my God, Trump found liable. And all of so when you guys see these gorgeous photos, yes. know that the joy on our faces oh, is really authentic. us being like, oh my God. <laughs> Yeah. Wow, the verdict came back. Well, Millie almost did a citizen arrest for the woman in our picture. <laughs> yeah, uh, to the woman who just sat directly behind us eating a sandwich on the steps and refused to move. If that God was you, you. Uh, please keep listening. But, uh, but You're in some photos. So, <laughs> But E. Jean Carroll, I mean, she stuck around. She doubled down. She never let this go. And, um, and now she's, I mean, he's opposed to give her $5 million. I don't know where he's going to get that. I don't think that's her chief concern, but... Really, yeah, um, really I don't think he's outcome. gonna pay her just because he's never paid kind of uh, anyone. anyone. <laughs> <laughs> he's owed money for any reason, so I don't think he's gonna give her that money. But I don't think that the money is really what she was even after. I think it was more like I don't know. It was kind of a stand-in for all of the women who have come forward to accuse Donald Trump of various forms of sexual misconduct. They interviewed a journalist who accused him as one of their witnesses as well. So, I mean, E. Jean Carroll is like very, very smart. I think that she went into this knowing that her case could would have a greater meaning beyond exactly what happened to her specifically. And I think that's part of why she took it on, which is really cool to and like brave to put yourself in that position because now she's like a target of these psycho people who hate her and he's you know we're gonna the he went on the town hall and said a bunch of horrible stuff about her and he'll continue to do that forever and ever probably yeah i am really wary of setting a precedent that we should be overly celebratory though of just moral victories for women which which is like oh my god I was lit up and ecstatic too especially because I'm like a huge fan of her I think she of her as like a journalistic idol she's so interesting she's so funny she's crude which like I love and I want her to get that money and I want women to be like compensated and have some sort of reparative justice in the form of some money making for all that she went through especially putting up legal costs and dealing with the emotional you know 
uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Emotional Terminal, stamina yeah. Yeah, yeah, of having to go through something like this and hold on to it for decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to have to watch that person run for president against a woman, be as awful as he was, have the totally. Access Hollywood tape come out, which was used as evidence in this, uh, and then win is like, it's it harkens back to like why Christine Blasey Ford came forward about Brett totally. Kavanaugh and why yeah. fucking Anita Hill came forward about Clarence Thomas, because it's painful to watch someone who's done this to you just succeed blindly and be like elevated to the highest offices in the land. She, she went on CBS this morning, you know, Wednesday morning and, and then Wednesday night was the CNN town hall. And she was asked like, what do you think? And she's, she was like, ah, I don't know. I'm not going to talk about the politics of it, but he did it. Like he's yeah. going to say he did it. Right. And as for, I'm not going to talk about the, the election or the politics, but whatever he says, he, he, he did this to me. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners. I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. I guess we will discuss this town hall. On the heels of that verdict, Trump campaigned on CNN during a town hall last night. It was just as like dangerous, unhinged as literally anyone could have anticipated. Honestly, it was kind of the worst case scenario. It was tough. But it couldn't have gone better for him, I think, is is what a lot of people think. The town hall was for, I read that it was for Republican and undeclared voters. Seemed pretty MAGA heavy to me. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they were laughing at his, like, they were fine. Yeah. He looked, I mean, he came off completely like, crazy to me but that's I I thought that the first time he ran I thought right. you could go for this man he's crazy right but like he literally had an audience of people who were laughing and cheering for him especially when they were talking about the Eugene Carroll stuff when he was like it was especially. just panky panky and they cheered and laughed and just it was such a I had such a physical reaction to it which I had forgotten that that's what happens when we watch a presidential Mm -hmm. figure like that. I was like, oh my God, my blood pressure, like what's happening? Because it's like, we've all been there where some dude makes a comment that makes you feel so uncomfortable and his bros just stand there and laugh about it. And that's like the most Mm -hmm. degrading feeling in the world. You could see it in Caitlin Collins's face. I could feel it. You could see it, reactions rolling in on Twitter. And it was just like, oh, I forgot how this felt. Yeah, and it's like felt is yeah. such a exactly. I said the same thing to Elise at like eight in the morning when I was watching. I was oh, like, I went stress I, eating yeah. like a yeah. maniac. Yeah. Like my body doesn't want to engage. Like I can't no. yet. Yeah, but it's we are. it's completely like slimy and awful. And you know, I know like when we had been talking previously about the fact that they were gonna do this, 
we had held out a little hope that maybe they would call him to account right. on literally anything. And instead, he just bulldozed through the entire thing. You know, I don't want to come down too hard on Caitlin Collins because it's, that's a pretty tough interview to do, especially when he's in front of an audience <laughs> of people who like and support him. I've never 100%. seen... Like we've seen videos of his rallies and stuff where they're acting like that, but I've for for him to be presented in like a town hall format, and I didn't know town halls were just for. I thought town halls were supposed to be. Neither did I. I didn't, it, 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 they were like it's a town hall. It's a it's a rally. You got Republicans and undecideds. Undecided what, voters who lied. typically vote in the New Hampshire primary. If you are voting in a Republican primary. Baby, you're, you're a Republican. You're, yeah. <laughs> you're a Republican now. And all of them like, were like, yes, I voted for you in 2020, but I might be undecided now. And it's like, mm. Mm -hmm. In no. 2020, mm -hmm. you voted for that man. Yeah. Yeah, I felt the same way. It's, and I wanted to talk about how we kind of thought Caitlin Collins, did I th she she called him out for a lot of lies and stopped him and challenged him. And the one time she, one time she did, he like called her a nasty person. And that that's the part I like felt too. It's like, I know he, I know he's a criminal. I know he's a sexual abuser. But he does feel like a violent criminal. Yes. Like yeah. I, just seeing like I I, I don't want to condescend her. She can take care of herself. I'm sure that she didn't have to do this. I'm sure that she thought it was a good career move. Like I, I don't want to be like, oh, how could they do that to her? Mm -hmm. She had she probably saw it as she probably weighed the pros and cons. But it did feel so uneasy, like genuinely concerned for what was going to happen like with the report on this, I mean, like it did, it brought me right back to when he was stalking Hillary because oh, yeah. she was also wearing a white suit and it was the same stage with the CNN. And it was just like, it felt, it felt very, very bad. The E. Jean Carroll remark, like you said, she called him or he called her a whack job to audience applause, roaring laughter yeah. and denied he sexually abused her despite the jury saying so. And the quote that you're referring to, he said, so the allegation is that he assaulted her in a, um, dressing room of a department store but he's basically just like I guess he's suggesting that somebody she just had sex with somebody there because he said what kind of a woman meets somebody and brings them up and within minutes you're playing hanky-panky in a dressing room he said again to like yeah. bizarre immediate imme that's not even funny just no. laughing laughing hysterically he also keeps well he also keeps being like <laughs> She has a cat named Vagina, which <laughs> like is actually true. I Googled it. Her cat's name is Vagina T Fireball, which is very funny. I love that. And <laughs> I know, the way I love he that said for it, her. I'm he like, goes, okay. Vagina. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. I, I'm like, don't I don't ever it's worse than having heard him say pussy. I it thought was. that hearing him say pussy was the worst. And no. then I heard him say vagina and I was like, vagina. never again. I'm like, oh um, it's like we'll that's put not it in, relevant. We'll put it in right here. Her dog or her cat was named Vagina. The judge wasn't allowed to put that in. Okay, it's, sorry. That's not relevant that she has a funny cat. Like, what? <laughs> like, what is that? About? But I guess he, in his warped mind, it's like if you are like crude in any way or reference sexuality in your personal life, how hmm. could you be assaulted by someone? Yeah, like Which is very much a you deserve it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because your cat's name is Virginia. Yeah, you have a cat <laughs> named Virginia. So why like why would you ever oh not want a sexual advance? Right. <laughs> and it's like, oh my God. One of the interesting things that I was thinking about is like, does this not just crack right open the defamation thing again? Because it's like You've gone out there yes. two days after this is settled, defamed her again, 
I looked into it. I'm not a legal expert, but there's apparently something called like a summary judgment where mm -hmm. basically you can go back to the court and say, this person did this again and you don't have to have another trial. But that would be asking a lot of somebody who's already put their emotions and money and time on the line to get this dealt with. So like, who knows where it goes from yeah. here, but it was a violation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, speaking of opening himself up to, so also he basically, he was asked about the classified documents and he basically was like, I can do whatever I want with them, <laughs> which is an enraging answer, but also probably very interesting to the special counsel investigating his intentions right. there because he kind of just handed them like, yeah, we know that you you had no regard for the sensitivity of these documents. If you think that you could do anything you wanted with them, then why are we supposed to believe like if he's ever like, oh, I didn't know it was because like, we, you know, we don't talk about the Biden documents that much, but he's sort of like, oh, sorry, I, I didn't know. Whereas Trump is like, oh, I, no, I just think I'm, I knew and I think and I think that I'm entitled. So there were definitely a lot of very attentive ears and like probably went great. I, I know that his team feels like it went great. But I, I was also reading that Biden aides feel like it's good for them, too. They're like it was he basically said everything that we could accuse him of. Right. We got so much footage for our ads. What do you, what do you guys think? How does this hurt him? How does this help Biden? I don't know. Mm, I think, and I know it, I'm making him the presumptive nominee by already, you know, I guess, I guess well, that, I that, that elevates yeah, yeah. him to that level a hundred percent. He's the only person who's done anything like this on the Republican side. I think, yeah, I think it puts him squarely at the center of the conversation in the same way that we have seen over and over again. And that's like the place that he, likes to be because nothing's going to turn his people like nothing's going to turn them off from him. So like maybe ultimately Biden gets some good quotes. I do think he came down on a lot of issues that have been losing issues. Like he yes. said that he thought Roe versus Wade being overturned was a great outcome, which again, time and time again, that's been a losing issue at the polls. That we need to protect guns more, yeah. which was maybe the most unhinged moment of the night for me. Yeah, like that's <laughs> wild. And then he also just doubled down on all the election fraud stuff, which number right. one, I wonder if he incriminated himself <laughs> again in, in another way in one of his other upcoming legal challenges. But also the election fraud stuff has lost at the bat, like at the polls again and again and again at and again. Every level. Yep. So I do think he came down on the wrong side of a bunch of important issues, but also at the same time, it's like I think they crowned him the nominee in a way. For sure. CNN. Yeah. yeah. And I, I have a lot of, you know, inner conflict between kind of my traditional journalism background yeah. and my, you know, modern new age journalism life that yeah. I've been living working at a startup and at a news company who wants to challenge the way that we've always done things because you know in my logical or like in my illogical brain it's like well we've always given the time to candidates who are yeah. the leading for, like, front runner for the major party who could very well be president and we should put them in that environment to ask them tough questions and demand hold them to account and look for some truth but then it's like my rational brain and like my alive in 2023 brain kicks in and is like, none of these things are in service of anything if the person being questioned is completely uncommitted to the truth in <laughs> any way, shape or form. So it's it's such a conflict, I think, for people who are engaging in media or participating as makers of media of like, what the fuck should we do with him? Yeah. And I don't know what the answer is. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I think Elise and I feel the same way. I mean, 
today as we were deciding how to kind of how to how to cover it it's like there are some things that he did that i do think uh, yeah they're in the public interest but but yeah i i can just as easily then tell myself a bunch of things that even if they're in the public interest they're not necessarily worth worth elevating and i noticed that cnn and all of their coverage afterwards they they did refer to him as the front runner to sort of like their coverage afterwards was it was interesting yeah (laughs) yeah looney tunes (laughs) yeah it was just like yeah just like four different focus groups that were, again, undecideds who were like, I'm a Democrat, but I love him. It's like, I don't think homegirl's a Democrat. No. I, yeah. Like a Republican pollster, a Republican congressman, a former Trump staffer, mm-hmm. a for, two former Trump staffers, actually. Jesus. And then two liberals. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> CNN does have a history of being like, we're talking to average voters. And it's like, actually, this person works for the Republican Party. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. So... um yeah, it was very I think the choice of audience is what really got me because mm-hmm. to have him up there being able to say all of this stuff again, he's not connected to the truth at all. Caitlin Collins can push back on stuff, but there's only so much you can push back on someone who's just saying whatever the fuck they want, but to also have an audience that is laughing and cheering and not the like a uh, sports game. Yeah. Well, he verbally like, abuses you. Yeah, yeah. It's very alarming to mm-hmm. see. And it also makes it look like he has a lot of support that yeah, is like average yeah. person support when it's like, no, oh, they totally. actually people who are involved in the Republican primary are hardcore Republicans. So like Especially in New Hampshire. Any Republican, exactly. any person that's even signed up for any email list about like Republican related events in New Hampshire, that person knows that person's Correct. engaged. They know what they're doing. Yeah. Like the, it, it, like you can't, you have to frame them properly if that's what you're going to do with the audience. But it's also like, what is the point of having him answer questions to an audience like that? It's, mm-hmm. it's, Without uh, like other candidates being there, but then the other top candidate is DeSantis, who hasn't even officially like said that he's and whose poll numbers are yeah uh, yeah (laughs) he's not even I mean he's kind of like a joke also I I bet he watched that shit last night and was like oh no yeah oh no (laughs) he's got to call his friend Matt Gates to help him with more debate prep yeah (laughs) I didn't have time to put most there wasn't that much to that but in 2018. Matt Gates did help Ron DeSantis with debate prep. And the videos are really worth watching because they're both just so like mm. anemic. I mean, like Matt Gates is in oh, just look. It's so terrible. Matt Gates, Matt Gates, Gates is in a Nirvana shirt and flip flops. Like it's just really it's just it dries you right out. Oh it's I hate the tough. type of people who are like, you're wearing a Nirvana shirt. Name one song. But yeah. I really yeah, want to ask Matt Gates, do. name one song. I do want to inquire like what Matt Gates is feelings about Nirvana totally. and, ethos. <laughs> and then I'd love to pull up Kurt Cobain and ask him what his feelings on Matt <laughs> yeah. Gates are. Yeah, I the don't most, think the that most Kurt notable, would be a fan. Yeah, the most notable part of that video was interesting because like basically Ron DeSantis was like, no, no, I think Kavanaugh did a great job. I think I got to be as worked up as him. And Matt Gates is like, I think you're coming in hot. And Ron DeSantis is like, I must. That's great. And in and, and seven years, this is in, 20, in 2018. So in five years has not really uh, developed much charisma. And Gates has endorsed Trump. 
And the stranger thing about that too is like, when have we ever seen Matt Gates filled with composure, especially <laughs> right? during a Senate or like a House hearing? He's always yelling. He's got those crazy eyebrows. Yeah. He's giving heat miser. The speaker yeah, was a full tantrum. <laughs> right. Someone hit him yeah. on the House floor. Like, this is not uh, the picture of civility and calmness and grace. Yeah. And so for him to be telling Ron DeSantis, like, you're getting a little worked up here. <laughs> yeah. Darling. <laughs> I mean, you guys both cover the news literally every day. I mean, what do you I think we're all sort of like you said, really, we've known a Trump Biden mashup is pretty likely. And now we're really staring down the barrel. I mean, how are you thinking about it? How are you feeling about it? How are you approaching your coverage? Like what have, what else have you been thinking about? You talked about sort of thinking like, OK, how do we how do we how do we show how serious what he's saying is without giving it more oxygen and showing it to people that might not otherwise seeing it, inviting people to defend him? Right. I one of the the biggest things that I do and I focus on I my show called What the Fuck America is on Snapchat. And a majority of my audience is Gen Z young people who are so disenchanted with the entire process and so disenchanted with these two geriatric men who are just not yeah. representative of anything that they feel is important to them, especially moving forward into the future, which they have long lives ahead of them, hopefully, yeah. um, unlike these two candidates. Yeah. Um, and so my biggest thing that I try to do with them is to make them understand, like, yes, it's about the person. The person matters. They are a symbol of who we are on the world stage. But it's also so much about, so much more about who they surround themselves with, what kind of decisions they're making, what policies they stand for that are going to have ripple effects for the rest of a young person's life. Yeah. So I think until the Roe v. Wade situation happened, a lot of young people didn't really understand when people our age and older were like, ah, if we don't mm. fix the Supreme Court now and replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg, it's going to be fucked forever. And they didn't really understand that. Yeah. So understanding a, the way that our government agencies function, who plays what role, how those people are appointed, how the Senate and House breakdowns affect that, number one. Number two, how all of these things play on a state level. So what a Biden yeah. presidency could mean for federal legislation as opposed to the way that states are going all haywire doing whatever mm -hmm. the hell they're up to these days. Um, Caitlin, our, our contributor, Caitlin, called it in her article like a welfare wingnut circuit or something yeah like they're out of control i call them like far right wet dreams that they're <laughs> yeah. somehow making into reality yeah. so i really want to make clear to to young people that it's yes it's about these two old farts that we're sick of but like it's also about who is around them what they want to accomplish and how they're going to do that mm -hmm. yeah and i mean there's a huge difference between a joe biden who like will push for new green energy and different like tries to put those policies in place versus a Donald Trump who's literally like, China's sending bad air over here and that's why it's hot. He said drill like, baby drill last that night. That was yeah. crazy. When somebody <laughs> asked, how do, you, how do you bring prices down? Nothing, nothing. He says nothing between his, he just says drill baby drill. A, a, uproar non sequitur yeah. complete yeah. non sequitur had nothing to do with yes. anything. Makes no sense. And, and New, the New Hampshire undecideds were like, all about it. Right. And just stuff like how, you know, Donald Trump like deregulated a bunch of shit regarding trains. And then there was a yeah. horrible train crash that created like an ecological disaster <laughs> in a poor, like a small town. So it's like there are real consequences to having someone like Donald Trump in office versus a Joe Biden who is 
And we've talked about maybe not the most exciting sure. candidate that I've seen in my lifetime, but uh, he's not, again, completely fucking lost. Right. At <laughs> sea, at yeah. mental sea. It's, it's so funny. It's not funny, but like, it's actually alarming. But like, <laughs> What I actually discovered? New segment just dropped. It's not funny. It's alarming. Um, when I discovered that the main issue that's keeping young people from being engaged with politics is that so many people around them their entire lives have told them, like, you don't have the experience to know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so it's degrading. It's um, de-incentivizing. And the whole interesting thing for me is I'm like, young people really do have the intellect and the critical thinking abilities to understand this stuff, but no one is doing them the favor of saying, you are totally able to engage with this. Here's yeah. how to go about mapping out thinking about something like this. And media as a whole does a huge injustice to them by not saying, let me hold your hand for the first three steps. And then I'm very confident that you can understand the next seven mm -hmm. once I let go of it. And that is going to be the game changer, especially in making them motivated to actually get to the polls. And that's like so key for me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I feel like when I was like growing up and starting to like express political opinions, I had like, like you, when you said like people either laugh or just like oh, yeah. people just, the gatekeeping is crazy. And you just <laughs> assume there's like, oh, there's too much I don't know. But I've learned to tell people it's like, not really. Like the, the gulf between what you know and like a middle smart person in the Senate is quite small. Like oh, it's really quite small. I learned about this thing called the Dunning-Kruger effect. <gasps> tell Ooh. us. It's, this is so good. It's like, <laughs> So it's this scale, and I'm not going to do it justice, yeah. so please look it up and look <laughs> at it as I'm explaining this. It's this scale that where it's like an intellect scale. The more a person knows, the less they actually feel confident in their mm. knowledge because they so understand real. the wealth of opinions, the wealth of facts, nuances, stuff like that. The less a person knows is actually when they are louder and more confident and kind of bulldozing everybody else intellectually. So it's like you see the Marjorie Taylor Greens yeah. of the world who are lower on that scale, but very loud and confident about the information that they're bringing to the table. And you're like, oh shit. Whereas yeah. you see intellectuals who are like exhibiting a degree of deference yeah. to like other people probably know more than me or there's yeah. other people involved in this. I was like, oh, yeah. I love a psychological phenomenon. Yeah. 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 That that's so time. true because I feel like the more you know, the more you're like, when you're trying to explain something, you're like, but also there are exceptions totally. and in this place it might be different. And so you're constantly like couching stuff with all the different like things that you know. And when you don't know that much, you can just be like Marjorie Taylor Greene and be like yelling. Yeah. Be like stepmoms aren't moms or whatever <laughs> yeah. like her new thing Or even is. like I'm sure like even in our line of work like I'll just like see like a viral tweet and I'm kind of jealous of it but I know it omits like really important context and Always. like people are like we should post this and I'm like no it's wrong. <laughs> bah humbug. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Uh, um, how did you get into like news and politics and journalism? Yeah I never wanted to be involved in political journalism <laughs> in literally any way shape or form. Who does? Right. <laughs> and then four years later like get help. I am. Yeah. Um, my mom was actually a documentarian and oh, journalist. Me. So I always, and I was a single mother, so it was always just me and her. And I was like, this, she taught me so many ways about thinking about the world and how to engage with people. And that was always like my inflection point was like, how do, how can I connect with another person about mm. something that is interesting to me? And how can we build on our curiosities together? Um, so I've always thought of journalism from like an inclusive standpoint rather than a you know, hierarchical, yeah. holier than thou, no more than thou standpoint. Um, so I actually, I went to journalism school, couldn't find a job for the life of me mm. after that because 
turns out you can't just walk into yeah. Vogue and say, hi, I want to sit front row at fashion shows and yeah. do that. Um, I'm so, sure some people can, but and not unless them, your mom your went to dinner yeah. with. Yeah. 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 yeah, Love that. Um, so I eventually cold emailed John Heilman, who founded wow. The Recount, and was like, you should hire me. And it worked. That's wow. incredible. I didn't know that was <laughs> yeah. the origin story Fun of fact. Grace at The Recount. Yes. Been there ever since four years. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my gosh. I just hit my I feel like we're on the same track. I just yeah. hit my first first four years at Betches too, full term, wow. wild, full term. And here I owe every year, every year I'm like, you probably tell me, I'm like, that was my last election. Oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I, and I look at the looming one, 2024. I'm like, I yeah. can't do that. <laughs> yeah, really? I can't do that. But then I'm like, what else am I going to do? I know. I'm addicted to the adrenaline, yeah. unfortunately. I was talking to somebody that works on the Hill and she was talking about like, I don't know how common this is. So I don't want to project on people, but she was saying that there's like literally women talk to each other about a recommended birthing timeline. If you want to be able to engage like in the midterms every two years like there's a good there's a good time to get pregnant and then have a baby and then be like kind of like you're okay enough and you figured it out enough to like if have I an get election. to that point like send do me away yeah. Yeah. I need to reevaluate yeah. some things about my life today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. have you ever felt that fast fashion ick but can't always afford the super high-end stuff I have a solution for you it's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing, up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's Newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com. Newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. All right, we're going to move on to our next segment, which is women's rights and women's wrongs. We, we have a good news palette cleanser in women's rights in the women's rights arena before another irritating story for women's wrongs. So this week, a panel of FDA advisors unanimously recommended to make birth control, the birth control pill, O-Pill, available over the counter. They say that the benefits outweigh the risks. So they noted that patients could basically easily understand the instructions to take the pill at the same time every day. That's like the most kind of intense instruction. Specifically, this pill is a progestin-only birth control pill, which doesn't have estrogen. I take that one. I love it. I don't know why they don't give it to more people. Like if you hate birth control and you haven't tried the mini pill, it, it's way better. <laughs> but you do have to take it at like the same moment every day for it for it to have the same effectiveness. So does this mean that birth control will be available soon without a prescription? But to go back to that, basically doctors are like, they can handle that. Women can handle that. People with uteruses can set like, an alarm. Are you really yeah. believe in yeah. us? Yeah. Thanks. I know. It's funny because Sabrina was like, yes, even low literacy people. It's like, yeah, you set an alarm. Everyone's been to a comedy show where your alarm goes off. Yeah. <laughs> and somebody says, take a birth control. <laughs> Whether this means that birth control is really going to be available soon without a prescription, we're going to have to see. Democratic members of Congress as well as 
Physicians groups have really been urging the FDA to consider this, especially really aggressively since last summer after Roe was overturned, and the agency is likely going to make a decision over the summer. It sounds like it might be a little bit of a challenge to make this happen. They're looking for more evidence from the manufacturer that this is safe for people to use outside of a healthcare setting, and the study just seems to like genuinely have some kind of issues that aren't necessarily indicative of uh, the effectiveness, but I think I understand this right. But the way the participants reported taking the pills wasn't quite adding up. What it looks like might what have happened is that people forgot to say they took it and then they marked it too many times. And basically the results are like, you took more pills than we've all, like imagine if you had to, you were doing a study for your birth control. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I just said you got to take this at the same time every day. Ladies and gentlemen, I do not. <laughs> I do Neither not. Neither do I. And I, so I feel like that there might have been something with with the reporting, the way the participants reported it. But I just think that's so funny that like they were like, you took 34 birth control pills. That's right. Really? Like, you huh. didn't even have 34. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what else you took. Actually. But here's the thing. All you need to know is she took all of them. The person yeah. took all of them. So, you know, they might have to go back and, and do, do a little bit more studying there. But I think, you know, the idea of whether once all of that is buttoned up, this is something that can be on the market for people to get without a prescription. There are so many barriers to, to getting that prescription. I couldn't really find anything about the cost. I don't know if the Obamacare you know, mandate that makes your birth control hopefully uh, inexpensive or free, it would apply here. But this seems like it would be huge and like change a lot of people's lives. Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely, the in the wake of the Roe stuff, making sure people have more access to birth control, young women have more access to birth control. I don't know what the rules are going to be around like a minor being able to right, get point. this stuff. Yeah. So I'm not sure how that'll play out. I'm sure if this goes into effect, the same states who have been playing like right wing <laughs> wish list with everything else will go cuckoo crazy trying to make sure that Hit, like people in their state don't have access to it but at the end of the day more access is better mm -hmm. i last week my episode of my show was about there were these poll numbers that came out that teens are having less sex than ever and i was fascinated yeah. by that so i did a whole deep dive went really entrenched with the audience we had days of conversations about their sex lives which i found fascinating yeah. um and one of the things that was a problem was lack of sex education. These people are having no sex education. They had no idea that birth control was an option for them. Mm -hmm. Some of them mm -hmm. didn't know that condoms were an option wow. for them. And I'm like, what year That's is out of it? Um, and I spoke to the fact that like birth control can be so empowering for women to start taking because then sex becomes a choice that has significant, ooh, <laughs> significantly <laughs> less consequences than, you know, ever before that, you know, that anxiety of getting pregnant, yeah. especially in a state where abortion rights are slimmed down, is so real. Mm -hmm. So it's like to be able to expand the accessibility and hopefully make it affordable would be such a game changer and already exists in so many other Absolutely. countries. Yeah. So yeah. Many. And just like when the pill finally got on the market for the first time, the, it corresponded to, you know, the like a new refreshed women's movement right. and a sexual revolution and all of this stuff because women were able to be like, okay, I can have sex on my own terms without being fearful right. about getting pregnant and then having to have an illegal abortion or having to carry the baby with someone I don't want or he leaves or whatever. So it'll be interesting to see what an expanded availability of the pill, what comes with that afterwards as well because I do think that it's like yeah the first time the pill came on the market it literally like 
second wave feminism happened. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, as we, um, I don't know if you guys have seen some of this uh, talk about no-fault divorce mm. and how just, oh you know, God. that change was such a game changer for women because they didn't have to prove that they were being abused to leave a marriage. You just think of all the the women who are not minors who like, it might be really hard for like they might be being emotionally and physically abused or their spouse is really controlling and they're just not in a position where it's safe for them to leave yet. And it might be really hard for them to get to a doctor. Like maybe their partner watches that, but it might be a lot easier for them to just like pop over to a Walgreens and get the O-pill yeah, <laughs> over the counter so absolutely. that they're not stuck because there are literally states where, you know, you have that guy in Texas that like admitted he was like, yeah, I just didn't want her to divorce me. That's why I told on her for the abortion pill. There's just to prevent pregnancy is just as we've said on so many times, it's so much deeper than just, I mean, it, it affects the rest of women's lives. Yeah. I think the question also is what kind of like legal action will come after this. If we've, we've seen with the Mifepristone case and the yeah. rise of like court shopping where crusty little conservative groups are like, well, where's a friendly court that yeah. I can yeah. take this lawsuit to and have it work out in my favor, which we're currently watching mm -hmm. with the abortion pill happening yeah. right now. I feel like that jugs because Merrick might be very busy. <laughs> yeah. People setting up the weirdest, most fucked up cottage industries in Amarillo, Texas. Oh, yeah. All right. Next up, we have a woman's wrong. We have a repeat offender, but it is not Kristen Cinema today. It's <laughs> Trissa Cotham. She is the former Democrat who changed her party affiliation to Republican in North Carolina because someone didn't like her American flag bumper stickers or that she like prayed openly. She was like, boo, I'm going to be a Republican. When we discussed her transition on the podcast a couple weeks ago, we noted that it provided North Carolina Republicans with a veto-proof majority, and this would allow them to pass abortion restrictions despite a veto by Democratic Governor Roy Cooper. And this is exactly what's about to happen. With Trisha Cotham's vote, Republicans in the legislature approved a 12-week abortion ban last week. She didn't just switch her party. She voted to approve this ban. And this bill, it includes all manner of other restrictions and requirements. You're going to hear a lot of people saying, well, most abortions are in the first trimester. This is what Americans want. This is reasonable. But, like, there's just so many other restrictions. They want you to go to the doctor a million times. Like, it's a 45-page bill, and the 12-week ban is, like, half of the page. And then there's just all this other shit that they're going to make you do. North Carolinians don't want abortion bans, and a lot of people have traveled to that state to access care. So yeah, Trisha voted for this ban. This is despite publicly sharing her own abortion story. Whoa! In 2005, I did not know that. I'll send you this video. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're gonna post this video Whoa. later. Actually, in 2005, she spoke really beautifully and passionately about a non-viable pregnancy that she experienced that she needed to terminate to protect her own life and her own health and a future her future re reproductive capacity. And was like, you know, thank God I had that right. Fuck everybody else, I guess. And uh, yeah, so she voted for that. Right now, Roy Cooper, I love this guy. He's <laughs> he's running around the state, literally just like going to all these events saying, I just hope he's not being harsh. He's actually taking a tone that you can tell he thinks is going to be more effective where he's just saying, I really, he keeps saying, I hope one person has a conscience. Because what he means is yeah. that if even one Republican just, just doesn't even show up to that veto override vote, it won't work. It won't happen. So he's like calling out Trisha Cotham and there's like some other guy. There, there are some... There's been some interesting Republican holdouts in states like Nebraska and um, South Carolina, and, and it looks like he's, he, that's what he's looking for here. He is going to formally veto the law at a rally on Saturday. Honestly, I kind of stand a male politician politicizing abortion rights. Yes. Yeah. Like, finally, finally. So he's going to do that on Saturday, and then next week we will see if if uh, North Carolina Republicans are able to get all show up and um, – make outlaw abortion after 12 weeks in North Carolina, which is going to be a huge, a huge deal. I'm just like, because of this woman, what is her real motivation? Because it's not, 
It's not what that did Harlan someone Crow buy her? Some, exactly. I mean, truly, who paid five hundred thousand dollars for George Santos's bond? <laughs> yeah. And what is going? What is actually going on here? Because the reason that she gave is clearly not the real reason. Um, the real reason was clearly so that she could participate in this vote. But but why? Mm-hmm. I'm so. I would yeah. be so interested for someone to find out <laughs> yeah it's like get on the phone yeah. right now pro public club please yeah you, that's so that's so interesting like who it's so bizarre to think like who benefits materially from abortion being outlawed who is who has bought her off and why because i think the timing is really interesting like to, to think that she did this so that she could get more cover so she could participate in this vote as a republican yeah because it's clearly really about her flipping to their side, but it's also she's like, on record saying. So that was the interesting thing to me is that she is willing to sacrifice her reputation as a non-hypocrite to willingly come out and be a hypocrite. She tweeted May third of last yes. year, like we have to protect Roe and a women's right, women's right to abortion. Christ. So she's sacrificing. Her, her image in front of voters that elected her to be somebody completely different and defend a right that they clearly care about, which is why they put her in office. And that was not enough for her to not say, I'd rather not be a hypocrite on the main stage right. because it's like, we have the tapes, girl. Yeah, for some reason, she thinks that's like, it'll cost me less to do this. And I'm very curious and what that reason is. That. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And like, what is she gaining? Because obviously, like, she was elected as a Democrat. She didn't even... She wanted to vote for this for some reason. She could have not flipped her party and voted for it. You know, like the she didn't have to join the Republican Party to do it. So what is going on? What's going on there? (laughs) I have no clue. And the interesting thing, you you have to ask the question of like, had she not been able to have access to those services, would she even be in the position to ruin this for, you know? thousands of other women yeah it's it's really interesting because also it's like i mean she's i feel like she's probably sacrificing her own re-election ability it depends, depends on the gerrymandering yeah. that's about to happen in yeah. that state which is not looking good yeah, yeah the same people paying for that she's looking at like she's like well if i flip to republican they're gonna gerrymander the shit out of this and then i'll stay or maybe she's even i don't know what I don't know who's when the next person is up in North Carolina, but maybe she wants to go like statewide or something. Yeah, yeah. it's it's very confusing because clearly her real her true feeling about abortion was what she had said. But then it's like, if you really feel that way, how could you do like what what would yeah. entice you to do this? I have been genuinely surprised by how many times over the past year I've been like super appalled by something somebody says about abortion rights and it's a woman. Like I oh, have yeah. genuinely been surprised. Like some of the fiercest fighters of our abortion rights are these just like crazy white bitches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's tough. All right. For another palate cleanser, should we do a would you rather? Yeah. Let's do a little would you rather. I feel like it's like start of summer vibes. So I have okay. a couple start of summer ones. Okay. Who would you rather stand next to during an hour long set at a music festival when it's 87 degrees and humid? Samuel Alito okay. or Clarence Thomas? Mm. You know what? I'm going to say Clarence Thomas because he just won't say anything. He didn't speak on the Supreme <laughs> Court for like over 10 years or whatever. So yeah. I'm like, at least he'll just be quiet. 
Okay, brill- and Sam Alito is out here issuing <laughs> every opinion talking on over the, per- the performance, oh, screaming yes. yeah. along. I'm like, oh, I can't. That is a great answer. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, I want some water. And he's like, mm, I decide what you do with yeah. your body. <laughs> really? I want water. I don't like it. <laughs> you want water? Go vote for water. <laughs> yeah, Clarence. Ought- but see, I don't know. I might go Clarence because Clarence is like, my friend Harlan's got a box. Oh, oh, maybe yeah. we can conditioning. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Grace? Who are you? Who are you going to stand next to? I think I'm going to roll Sam Alito yeah. also because if it is Clarence Thomas, high likelihood that Ginny will be there, <sighs> and I will not that put up tough. with that. Her, yeah, his best friend goes everywhere he does. Yeah, no. Who would you rather be stuck next to on the tarmac on a plane with no air conditioning? Kirsten Cinema or Sarah Huckabee Sanders? Kirsten Cinema. Always, I <laughs> always, want to. always yes. explain. You I want need, to? You oh, need I to want know. to. I need yeah. to know. What makes that woman tick? What makes her the way that she is? I want to talk about fashion with her mm-hmm. desperately. When she pulls up to the house or the Senate floor dressed as Velma giving cosplay, we have purple wig. Yeah. I just need to get Simply into that brain so badly. Yeah, I would love the vibe check on her just to be like, I got to get eyes on this lady and see. <laughs> Are you really like this? What yeah. is going on here? Though I do feel like, you know, Sarah would be willing to like crack open one of her weird real lady beers and <laughs> yeah and like do something like that She's, i would like like to like, listen to her like talk talk to her chief of staff like oh okay Mackenzie, you can go have an apple apple juice now because she's yeah. like seven <laughs> yeah i do find her because her like like well i think all of this stuff is a little more fun to listen to than yeah. kirsten cinema yeah. so <laughs> As somebody who's listened to a lot of Mitch McConnell, I'm pretty ready to be over that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Intonation. (laughs) This is another one where, like, you you have two great choices. It's an Mm -hmm. embarrassment of riches. So you're 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 at a brewery, really crowded, but there are like two end end benches, little corner slivers. Cool. And there's two people you'd love to talk to. On one end, there's AOC, and you can sit next to her. But on the other end, there's 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 George Santos, and you can sit next to him and talk to Mm. him. Who who are you gonna shimmy up next to, to have a cold one with? <sighs> it is I have tough. an answer. Yeah. It is AOC, and then I know because we would be full gab fest. Yeah, George Santos would see that and come join us because <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> he wants to gab with oh, the girls. Absolutely, for that's sure. a great point. There's no way that like they're in the same room and George Santos isn't like I'm go. I'm talking to her. They want to chat. He definitely stands her, for even sure. though. Yeah, yeah you I going? do feel like. You know, George Santos is going to be making a scene regardless. Like I think you what like the uh, like the <laughs> observational value of him, you meet it whether you're actually physically sitting next to him or not because he's going to correct. He's going to be there doing his thing. Though I will say I do want to see the filler up close. Mm-hmm. Mm. I want to see what he's got going on there because he's got the cheeks He's got the lips. Yeah, his cheeks will just poke it from across the table. Yeah, yeah I want to do, honestly, I want to do an in-person Ozempic check <laughs> on him and see what the vibe I'm getting is there. So maybe I would try to get up close with Santos. Well, then, you know what? I think we can tag team. We'll send you both. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> exactly. Because I also feel like AOC, I would lean that way simply because I think that if I were able to talk to her for like 30 minutes, I could I could secure a follow-up. So I think it would like be a more productive oh. like get around the podcast or we'd become business best woman. friends. Yeah. Business, business oriented. Woman. 
Children but then, pop for fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like. But then maybe there's a don't meet your heroes about AOC. There's mm. no way that George yeah. Santos could disappoint me or that I could walk away from that interaction feeling like, oh, I, I blew it or like I acted weird. Like there's True. no way that there's no I'm, anxiety. <laughs> exactly. exactly. I'd be like, oh, my God, I said something dumb or what? Did she like me? Whereas George Santos, I'm like, yeah. mm-hmm. whatever happens here is what happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Beautiful. Grace, thank you so much. Where can people check out What the Fuck America and more of you talking about this kind of stuff? Yeah, thank you. I am big heavy over on Snapchat. You can find the show under WTF America because we are not allowed to curse on that platform. (laughs) WTF America. Yes. Um, And then my handle that I made in literally like 10th grade, which I haven't figured out how to change. They're like, you can change it. I'm like, I'm the oldest person on this platform. How do I yeah. do that? Is Gracie with three E's gray Got with it. an A. Um, and then I'm on uh, Instagram as gr- at gray with four Y's. There's a <laughs> lot of letters happening here. But actually, more importantly, you can find the recount yeah. literally on any social platform. Uh, we kind of bombed the news business by yeah. cutting clips and yeah. actually posting what lawmakers are talking about at all times. Uh, so if you want to be read in on a state level, federal level, local level, that's the place to be. Yeah. Absolutely. And I feel like, I mean, whenever anyone writes an article on this, like no one should sleep on the impact that like the proliferation of video, I feel like really had during the past we got five all years. These people chasing down yeah. our necks now. Yeah, like, I know. First, I know. Whatever. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> justice for justice for the recount. Thank you so much, Grace. We hope to have <laughs> you back you. sometime. Anytime. Hi, everyone. This is Amanda. I'm back. And today I am here with Emily Amick. She is the founder of For Fact's Sake, which recently launched with a super exciting campaign encouraging people to gift moms with phone calls, not flowers, this Mother's Day. You also definitely follow her on Instagram at, at Emily in your phone, where she's showing followers how to actually walk the walk when it comes to pursuing political change. You must be tired, girl. You're walking the walk a lot. <laughs> Too many steps. There's so much going on right now, but it's just really exciting. And You know, it's really invigorating for me to see everyone else excited to participate in these political actions. You know, so much of the time, especially being on Instagram, it feels like it's just me yelling into the void. And so it's really, really exciting to have everyone yelling with me. Yeah, yeah. So people here, you know, call your reps. They they do hear that a lot. Sometimes they worry, you know, it begins to kind of like lose its value as, as much as people repeat it. But, you know, I'd love to ask you to elaborate on why that actually matters from your various points of view. What happens, you know, practically, what happens when an office is flooded with calls on a single issue? And how do we know that that does move the needle? Yeah. So a little bit of background about me. Um, I'm a lawyer. I used to be a counsel for Leader Schumer. And so I worked in a Senate office. And so My advice comes from my experience as an advocate, but also from someone sitting in an office and hearing about these phone calls. And we have tons of tangible examples of how phone calls have moved the needle. And a great example is last summer with the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, which was the result of phone calls and lots of public square actions and a big change in mood after the Uvalde shooting. Um, You know, I think... The thing about phone calls and what makes them distinct from, say, emails or just posting on social media is they're they're annoying, right? Like <laughs> it, it requires you going out of your way to find the phone number, make the phone call, wait for the voicemail or the person or whatever. And that means you must really, really care about an issue. And it means you probably care about it enough that you're going to make your vote depend on it. And at the end of the day, all of these elected officials, their job is to get enough votes to win the next election, right? Like that's the essence of democracy. And um, sometimes when I say that, people are like, oh, that's so cynical. And I'm like, no, it's practical. 
call. Like it is what it is. And that's good because it's that's the whole point. That's how you do your job. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Um, the whole point is that we elect them and they need to do the things to get our vote the next time. Right. And um, so, you know, calls are a way to let them know that there's people who really, really care about this. I'll say the what I hear from members of Congress when I talk to them off the record is like most of their calls are about UFOs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and people feel very strongly about those. Yes, they do. And um, I'll tell you, you know, a lot of these gun extremists, they are making these phone calls and they are doing it every single day. Wow. And they are loud and they are aggressive. And, you know, lots, a lot of the people who just want reasonable reform, they're, they're busy, right? Like they have a job. They're putting food on the table. They're taking their kids to soccer. You know, they're having coffee with their, they're like doing normal people things and they're not zealots. It's not part of their identity. Right. It's really important to them. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think a lot of what Call Your Reps is about is getting this idea more normalized and making sure people know, like, you do have this direct access to your rep. They they do, I can tell you, they do listen to these calls. Mm -hmm. They are tallied. They're, they're tallied is a check mark. It doesn't really matter all of the other stuff that you say. Right. What matters is, like, yes or no on a bill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so I think that's so key in what you're pointing out, too, is that you give people scripts and people are probably like, that's it. That's all I got to say. That's 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 what you have to say. There's not much more to it other than state explicitly what you need and, and that you're that you're a voter. And that's what it, that's what people say a lot when, you know, we're we have a lot of audience that are from like California and New York and we look at them as engaged as they can. But it does really mean more coming from a person who casts a vote in that district. Right. Yeah. I mean, my two cents is you call who you vote for. Yeah, uh, it. I think that having people who are outside of a district driving a lot of phone calls to an office, it is detrimental to the overall cause. Because what that means is that office doesn't have the lines open for their voters and for the people who they actually want to listen to. And at the end of the day, they start sort of disengaging from that whole process. And I think it's sort of detrimental to the overall purpose of democracy. I'll also say, I think that there is this learned helplessness of people. If you live in a blue district, oh, my my rep already cares about this. It's not a law. <laughs> yeah. They're not doing enough. They could be doing so much more. They could be out there whipping votes for getting more Republicans on a bill. They could be doing a press conference about it. They could be pushing for a floor vote. They could be thinking of, you know, if they're a House rep, how do we do a discharge petition on this? There's lots and lots of things that they can be doing that they're not doing beyond co-sponsoring. So I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of value to still making those calls. There's also a tremendous value to making a thank you call. Mm -hmm. um, you oh, know. That's super, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, look, if you've trained a dog, you know, <laughs> yeah. right? Like the way you get the dog to do it again is you give right. them a cookie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's no different yeah. than training our reps. Like so much of the problem, especially on the left, is that nothing is ever enough. Mm -hmm. And nothing is ever enough. Right. You know what I mean? There is more. There's more big change. But what that means is also when reps go and they make a hard vote and they work really hard to get something, they're done. And then all they hear is people screaming at them that they didn't do enough. And they're people. Yeah. And if we want to get them to do it again and again and again, we need to sort of recognize that and say, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. We love what you do. We're excited to be thanking you the next time, you know, and treat, making sure that they know every time they do something we like, we're going to be out there. We're going to be ringing the bell saying, we love what you did. Thank you for your leadership. And there's a like a real tremendous value to that. And phone calls is a 
incredible way to do it. Yeah, I, that's so important for people to hear because you do have a role to play in making phone calls if you live in Massachusetts. Like you, you have a role to play, but you don't necessarily need to be calling the Louisiana reps. You can be calling your own. This made me, you know, how do you respond to people who say, I don't understand why things aren't changing when Democrats are in power? Like you said, there is more that all of our members could be doing, but there are also like real roadblocks. How do you respond to that to keep people in, you know, keep yeah. people feeling like their actions matter? I think, you know, one of the problems is we've gotten in this very short term mentality about politics. We have Joe Biden. The Democrats have majority in the Senate. They don't currently have majority in the House. But- they did. We did before yeah. with Nancy Pelosi as speaker. But the problem is the filibuster in the Senate. So the reality is, you know, 50 people isn't enough. Yeah. You need 60 votes in the Senate. And there's a whole other conversation about the filibuster. But the reality is we were really, really had, um, you know, we weren't able to pass all the bills we wanted. And the House did pass a lot of things. The House did pass background checks. The pa House did pass an assault weapons ban. The House did pass comprehensive reproductive justice. But none of those things passed the Senate. Mm -hmm. And so they never got to Joe Biden's desk. And, you know, I think I totally get it, right? Like yeah. all you hear is people screaming at you to vote and then you do vote. And then the values that you are espousing, you don't see them realized by your politicians that you voted for. Yeah. And it's so, so frustrating, but this is, you know, a lifetime journey and you have extremists who will do whatever it takes for as long as it takes. They spent 50 years working to overturn Roe. And we need to just do the same and make sure we keep, keep fighting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really sobering to remember, like, even just somebody who loves guns is calling every day. Mm -hmm. And, like, for me, it's kind of empowering to be like, I at least need to cancel them out every day. Like, I need it as often as possible because because that's happening. Well, actually, to stick on the issue of, of guns, do you think you said that that constituent anger probably did impact the modest bipartisan action we saw on gun safety after Uvalde? Those are pretty modest changes. You know, when you see that, do you think I kind of have mixed feelings? I'm like, oh, my God, they actually did that because of the pressure campaign. And then my cynic is like, they're never that's going to be it for the next kind of couple decades. So when you see that, what does that indicate to you about how the response and demand for change actually impacted these lawmakers? And as those negotiations were happening, were there, was there anything that were there any moments that pointed out to you? Like, when do you think things shifted and why? And what do we learn from that? So many questions in one. But. Yeah, so many questions in one. So I, it was the first bipartisan major gun legislation in 26 yeah. years. That's not, I, I think that that's not for nothing when you think no. about the the NRA and the, you know, the NRA is really a stand-in for this larger 2A movement, but right, because um, they are but a single factor in this larger idea. But they, their whole mission all along has been hard no, absolutely nothing. And Frankly, it's an easier, a, a straight no is an easier line to hold mm -hmm. than nuance and possibility and this, that, and the other, right? And they've been doing that along and we broke it. And I think that people, it, it wasn't comprehensive. It definitely wasn't, but you had John Cornyn from Texas, right, supporting a bill that was a gun reform bill. And um, it was an important moment, and I'll say one of the problems was there was tremendous backlash for those Republicans. There was. And I think that if you are sitting in, um, you know, a bubble of social media and you're not really in these hardcore Republican social circles, you don't realize how tremendous the coordinated backlash was against those people. I mean, uh, Tony Gonzalez from Texas, who's a, a congressman, got uh, sanctioned by the Texas Republican wow, Party. Yeah. 
Um, and for, and this is like, we were talking like background checks on people under 21. Like these were very modest changes. Really, you know, and, um, some money for, I think, mental health services in schools and, you know, uh, not, you know, there was, I think, an important thing about, um, domestic abusers. Mm -hmm. That was an Amy Klobuchar bill. Things that are good, right? Like these are changes. They will help people. And I think part of the problem is sometimes we forget that like, that will help a few people and those people's lives are important. Yeah, they got rid of the boyfriend loophole. Right. That's massive. Yeah. And and so it's a step. And again, this sort of like ties back in with this thank you idea, which is mm-hmm. that like uh, if if we only want them to do the ultimate, it doesn't reward them for taking these steps. And this is what's pushing them in the direction we want to go. Right. Yeah. Like <laughs> to continue with my dog metaphor. <laughs> right. Like you teach the dog sit before you teach it down. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you have we have to like work with these people and get them. And these Republicans, they learned a really important lesson. And it was they weren't rewarded. Yeah. <laughs> they were punished. And so we have to change the calculus for them. So when we're thinking about like the uh, for fact's sake campaign right now, phone calls, not flowers, um, a big part of that is getting more folks in red states to make these calls Mm -hmm. because we need to start having those folks be really, really loud. So we change the calculus for these Republican reps. They realize I'm not going to get voted in again if I keep holding this line that the NRA wants. Why are Republicans so effective at making certain issues that are not actually bipartisan when you look at polling, like reproductive rights and things like universal background checks? How are they so successful in making that seem like a bipartisan, like a like a partisan 50-50 split when there are many people in red states who want these things? And I do wonder, people that identify very strongly as a Republican, if that is the one thing keeping them from advocating for, for more gun safety. I mean, I think it is. And I think that part of the problem is these extremists are so loud. And that loudness is a couple different things. Um, Number one, it's like bullying. (laughs) You know, like they're extremely aggressive with what they have to say. And they come on. I mean, you see them in the comment section of every single post you make about this issue. And they are virulent and they lie and they say, like, you're banning guns. It's like, my dude, I'm just saying that, like, people need to get some background checks. Oh, well, you know, criminals will never compete a background check. And I'm like, yeah, okay, who cares? Um, But, you know, so I think that's part of it. Uh, Part two is they're well-funded, right? Because there's this larger idea of, not an idea, there's this larger infrastructure of moneyed Republican forces that realize these single-issue voters are a key voter base that they can turn out over and over again, and they have to keep those people activated and focused on their single issue because they are the ones delivering these Republican seats. And if you're a large corporation that doesn't want to pay taxes and wants to have your you know, environmental regulations um, undone so you can throw your chemical soup in the river... <laughs> Delicious. Uh, right. That, you know, you need Republicans in power to do that. And yeah. so you're like, what's the way I'm going to get my voters? Um, these people who are the ones who are going to be poisoned by my my chemical soup. How do we trick them into voting for mm-hmm. us? Well, <laughs> they care a lot about guns. So let's, you know, perpetuate this idea of this cultural identity that so much is surrounding the gun issue. Um, because, yeah, being reasonable, right, like, background checks is, like, wholly reasonable. And that's why it's right. supported by 87% of Americans, even according to a Fox News poll. But that's not, like, a fun identity. <laughs> exactly. Right, right. <laughs> like, you're not going to have a party yeah. um, where everyone is celebrating You don't that. have, like, they don't sell membership cards for supporting no. universal background checks. Yeah. No. Um, and, so you know. conventions. Right. They, no, it's, and, and it's not, um. I grew up in the South, right? Like this, guns are something around which people form their lives. 
and it's who they are and how they believe and representative of so much more than just that physical thing. And I think that that's, um, you know, the same thing can be said for other talismans and other issues. And things are changing on our side, especially with Moms Demand Action, right? Yeah. You are seeing an identity that's formulated around being a pro-gun sense advocate. Um, but this is new and we're way behind, mm -hmm. right? Like they have been pushing this for a long, long time. And this identity on our side of being pro-gun sense is really just like been pulling into the real big zeitgeist for, I don't know, like five or 10 years. Yeah. I mean, I love Moms Demand and generally do love kind of like putting moms at the center because it reminds me of like the moms against like mad moms against drunk right. driving because nobody's for drunk driving. So like if we can kind of like consolidate the support uh, among mothers. So talk more about the phone calls, not flowers campaign. I feel like it, another reason it could be so effective is because Republicans like if there's such a swell, they claim they, they say they fucking love mothers and families. Right. So if you have this swell of women who are mothers saying like, please help my family, it's a real bad look for them, right? Yeah, you know, and there's always a lot of conversations on the left about reclaiming a narrative, right? Mm -hmm. People want to reclaim patriotism. We want to reclaim being, you know, family values and all of this stuff. And I think this is the type of campaign that it's it's better to actually do it and like do the campaign than talk about reclaiming words. We're totally just, right. And so I think there's so much that has happened right now. It's the same with the parents' rights movement, right? Um, which is really about those parents' right to tell other people how to raise their children. Um, and uh, the thing about guns is that it has taken politics and it's brought it into people's homes in a way that is so visceral that I think that there's few other issues that have galvanized people. Um, I have, in my too many years of political service, uh, never seen my friends more activated. And I've never seen more passion um, coming from people who want to make change. And so, you know, I think another big thing about the Phone Calls Not Flowers campaign is we want to see this as an entry, right? This isn't, this isn't like you make one phone call and you're done. <laughs> you don't share one post and you're done. This is your first step. Yeah on a path towards getting more politically engaged. And, you know, I always say I want civic engagement to be a daily habit, not a yearly part panic attack. And it's thinking about how do we get this to be part of your life, part of who you are, working for your family and making your community a better place for all families. That is, that's what it means to be a Democrat, right? Mm -hmm. And it's about making everyone's life better, not just about making your own life yeah. better. When I'm, you know, reminding myself to do it, I just remind myself that like, and I don't want this to come off too negative, but it's like everything worth doing in my life is like kind of annoying. Like making a really good, healthy meal is kind of annoying, but it's like so worth it and it enhances my life and it's just part of working out to feel better. It's kind of annoying. Calling this, because I call the switchboard and then you, there's like an actual operator there and they're like, how the heck can I help you? And I'm right. like, oh, can I talk to the streamer, please? And then save they send the me. Save the phone numbers. And then, yeah, save the phone numbers, send them right there. But it has to be part of your daily practice. Because like we were saying, like the 2A people, the people who have created an identity around gun ownership, they're they're calling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I'm curious about, you worked in the Senate for a long time. Do you think the sort of bombast of what we see senators talking about and how they debate publicly kind of betrays how much room for negotiation there might be on this issue? Or do you think they're pretty like set in their ways? How do you think what we see from them on issues like this kind of is different from how they're communicating with one another about it? I think on issues like this, there's almost no difference wow. between how we see them communicating and how they yeah. are in real life. You know, uh, there's issues like this which are incredibly calcified. 
Um, Calcification is a real buzzword in political science circles these days, right? And it's about these ideas that there's these intrinsic things. I'll say my feeling about sort of political beliefs in America is they're all very strongly held until they aren't, right? And like people are extremely passionate about their political beliefs until they change them. Um, And they definitely change them. There's a lot of people who were Trump voters who used to be true blue um, all the way union voters, right? And they just flip-flopped. And uh, it happens over and over and over again, and changes happen super, super quickly. So, you know, I think the thing about guns is that it is such a high-pressure issue. When you're, There's other issues that are more sort of under the radar, that are more nuanced, that won't immediately become a negative campaign ad, um, that the, there is sort of a different conversation happening behind the scenes. But the thing about... Uh, guns and other issues like that is this it taps into this other massive institutional problem we have in this country which is partisan primaries and mm-hmm. republicans being incredibly scared of being challenged from the right and i mean you're even seeing it with like jd vance like could yeah. you go farther right the man is already par- paranoid about being primary from the right yeah. and you see you see him acting in ways that you're like oh when i saw you know the stance that he's been taking on ukraine it's unfathomable to me yeah right and it's and I think it's because he's probably scared already. Um, and so, you know, partisan primaries, it's a whole other topic. But we we aren't institutionally rewarding these people for compromising, right? We reward them through the primary system, through partisan primaries, for doing what those primary voters want. And those are partisan primary voters. They are the extreme of those parties. So mm-hmm. it's it's you have to sort of think about how they're talking about this, because it's it's really geared towards those voters, not all of us. Gotcha. So we've talked about how, you know, like individually, we need to get engaged because a lot of people that do have really strong feelings about gun ownership, they're getting engaged every day on an individual level. But in terms of sort of the collective, we've also seen the right really take kind of a better better advantage of influencers and people with a platform and their ability to sort of like take a message and spread it in often, I think they use humor better than, not better than us, of course, but better as us collectively. Uh, tell us how you're kind of working to counter that. Yeah, you know, a long time ago, I had a conversation with someone who was a right wing operator and they were like, you guys have had Hollywood. We needed to create our own. And they've done it. And they they have a lot of money. And they invest that money in creating communications mechanisms. And they realize that messengers are really, really important. And messengers who people care about and who they have social parasocial relationships with and who they believe in and who they feel part of a community in, right? Like All of these things which are really, really meaningful. And I think on our side, um, we're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're factually correct. And that's really important. And uh, we think that that's sort of what's going to win the day. And it's been a disservice yeah. to, I think, uh, our you know our community, right? And a lot of what I try to do with Emily and your phone is think about how to make politics accessible, how to make the vibes pretty low, right? How to be funny and how to be a real person, and how to make sure my community knows who I am and what I'm about and what my values are, and that. Politics is about them and it's about all of us, right? And making it more accessible. And so it's not just someone from on high making a declaration. Yeah. It's really just about all of us coming together. And I do try to be funny. I don't think I'm like Betches funny, <laughs> but I think I'm like my Emily's own got jokes. Emily's Emily, got jokes. Emily's got jokes. Um, <laughs> that can be your second handle when you launch your comedic iteration. Right. <laughs> A lot of times people ask for explanations, which I think yeah. is 
a sign of a bad joke, mm, but mm. I do have them. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they're just, maybe the jokes are just too good. They're just too yeah. good. There was recently, I mean, I, I wanted to interject a lot in this conversation I heard. I don't think it was perfect, but on um, John Favreau's podcast, he interviewed Hassan Piker, who does, you know, like his six-hour stream. And I'm not a huge, like, just the way he talked about it, he was like, they have fucking blowhards just talking all day. We need blowhards talking all day. I don't think that's you or I. Oh, I'd <laughs> we're, we're slightly different. <laughs> we're yeah. not going to be the blowhard bros talking all day, but we can kind of activate specifically. I think you've also talked about how um, the right has kind of targeted a lot of women and and mothers. And I feel like you know, you're you're kind of actually getting at the the instinct that motivates people with with phone calls, not flowers. So how has the response been so far? And can you we haven't, you know, we take for granted we know so much about it, but tell us what phone calls not flowers is and what the action is. This interview is gonna come out a couple days before Mother's Day. Yeah. So phone calls not flowers, it's a social media campaign. The idea is moms are asking their loved ones, they want phone we want phone calls, yeah, it's not pretty, flowers yeah. for this Mother's Day. We want you to call your reps about bipartisan background checks. And we're asking folks to post a reel online as a collab with at for fact sake underscore, because I couldn't get the handle. <laughs> oh. Um but see we need a rich benefactor to buy the handle back for we us do. we need a harlan crow to buy us <laughs> where is my harlan crow um every day i'm not a supreme court justice <laughs> uh so you know I, I think it's about it's about that and then it's about all of us who love moms standing up and saying i'm gonna support you i'm gonna join you in this because it can't just be on mom's shoulders um and make those calls to my reps and post about it on Instagram. And I think, you know, one of the many outcomes of this, A, we're bringing call your reps to a new group of people. Um, we're getting lots of influencers who don't post about politics mm -hmm. to post about this. And that's really important for me, getting people to be willing to say, I'm not just scared of guns, I'm gonna do something. And that secondary action is really important because mm -hmm. um, it's something that I've really seen missing. Um, but we're also showing people that there's a lot of other people who are worried about this issue and you are not alone. And we want to see your voice as part of this cacophony because, you know, again, going back to something I mentioned earlier, what happens a lot when you talk about political issues or guns online or in real life is there's one extremist, usually a dude who comes and yeah. starts bullying you, right? And makes you feel stupid or makes the experience so unpleasant that you just don't want to talk about it again. And what an incredible silencing technique. Mm -hmm. It's so effective. We were talking about this in earlier in our show. Like I, it took me a long time to get into politics and trust my own opinions because like I definitely just, there was always just that guy yeah. or a couple guys that are like, oh no. And then, and laugh at you and you're like, okay, I guess I'm, I guess I'm not, I don't belong here. I can't. Yep. Yeah. You know, and it's telling you that you're not smart enough and you don't know enough and really degrading your sense of confidence when in reality yeah. when in reality you know every single person has the right to have values and communicate those values to their community and it's ridiculous all that matters is that you have thought right like if, if you're scared of guns and you want them regulated that's enough you shouldn't yeah. have to know statistics you shouldn't have to know the background check regulations right the if, difference between ar-15 style rifle and a, right. they love to they love to they love to, words about that to make fun of people for not knowing what ar stands for yeah. oh my god get a fucking life what does it stand for automatic rifle Is no it different? doesn't stand for automatic oh, rifle it's, you know it i should quit my job right now yeah, <laughs> yeah but you know it's like as if that that's 
the most salient factor right. of people right. using an automatic weapon to murder children. The most salient part of this story is not what AR stands for. Exactly. <laughs> right, right. And they, they're so confident when they suggest that that just, oh, your entire argument unravels because you don't know. Right. You don't know. You know, or like the argument that I'm seeing a lot these days that like uh, criminals will always figure out a way to buy a gun. It's like you're just making an argument against all laws. <laughs> Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. You just People want, will still get sick. So let's not bother right. treating anyone ever right. that's ever been sick. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, OK, you want anarchy. Have fun. Yeah. It turns out you probably don't want that yeah. because you also love the police. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, do you sometimes I think about and I mean this in sort of a good way, but the, I think the performative aspect on social media can really bring people in because it's like, OK, not only did you take this action, but you get to show everyone that follows you that you're engaged and you took this action. So we also find that that um, approach works really well. Do you think the Democratic Party is kind of realizing that it needs to invest in those messengers? Because I think we take for granted, like you said, like we're like, our message is amazing. Our message is perfect. We just want everyone to be not hungry and have rights. But unfortunately, we don't necessarily. Do you think we invest in the messengers enough? I don't know. They should call me. (laughs) Please. Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) I hope so. You know what I mean? Like we have 18 months till democracy might be over. So I think that we should be doing everything we possibly can. I'm certainly trying to do my most. Um, Girl, you're doing the most. (laughs) uh, You know, a commenter. Me and Sam are always like, did you see she did another thing? It's like, oh, God, (laughs) I was going to go to sleep, but now I got to do more stuff. Um, And all while I have a full time job. Yeah, crazy. Uh, You know, I have a uh, I saw a commentator today be like, oh, you know, this is just the same moneyed interest funding this. I wanted to be like, what Um, money? Yeah. Friends. I, I was talking about this with someone yesterday, but which is not a helpful introduction. I apologize, <laughs> dear listeners, because you weren't there. Uh, but, you know, I, this idea that like everything takes time. I went to journalism yeah. school. I have a master's in journalism. Fun fact. About I didn't you. know that. Yeah. Um, and, and law school. And and I have an, an LLM in international criminal law. I have three graduate degrees. And she's single, right? And, and yeah, she's yeah. single. So let me know. Uh <laughs> Washington, D.C. <laughs> Drop her into up. my DMs, yeah. whatever it's called. <laughs> she Slide. reads them. <laughs> yeah, I read them. I don't always answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I about how when I was in journalism school, uh, there was all this constant conversation about the paper that newspapers are printed on and how important oh, it is to feel the paper and be serious? a part of that. And I was always like, I just want to read it online. Yeah. Like, I don't want to deal with this. And um, they didn't like me very much, to say the least. Um, and there was some big disagreements about it. And I think that to a significant degree, there's a lot of um, attachment to the way things have been. Mm-hmm. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of attachment to how things have happened and people in power who have an expertise. And they obviously want to continue with that expertise. And that expertise is not talking to millennial women on Instagram. Yeah. Which is bizarre. Uh, and it's bizarre. And so, you know, I think that finally folks are waking up to like times be a changing. And uh, they're going to start using uh, social media more. Certainly, we've seen a lot of politicians start using TikTok to reach out to Gen Z. Um, I think they've sort of they're on Facebook talking to Gen X. They're on TikTok talking to Gen Z. And I'm like, oh, what about the middle aged women? Right. Uh, You forgot about Twitter talking to nobody (laughs) that used to be to to each uh, other to each other. Correct. Right. You know, and and Instagram has sort of been forgotten. Yeah. Um, And that's where we are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think Instagram is the most powerful political organizing tool we've ever seen. And uh, I hope that we can harness it. Mm -hmm. 
Do you find like do you have issues with like shadow banning and feeling like your content is like yeah. suppressed? Yeah, I'm we very, gotta figure that out. Shadow banned. Yeah, uh, I spend email a nobody a ghost all the time. Yeah. Like, please help. I had to get. I had to pull every string I've ever acquired. Right, in I my remember entire that. Your life yeah. because. Jeez. Um, yeah, they had said I was do violent content because I called out Kanye West for being anti-Semitic. Right. Uh, and, and I had a, yeah, so I was like very, very seriously shadow banned. Um, and I have lots of other stuff still on my account that I'm not able to access. And I've been trying to work with them, you know, and I think that this is also something that happens to people of color a lot. Yes. Um, and it's a huge problem. <laughs> and we definitely have this huge issue with these corporations that have total control over the public square. And we've seen it with Elon and, you know, we see it with Meta and it's a problem. I don't think that that means we shouldn't be on these platforms. Right. And and that's a that's a conversation that a lot of people want to have with me. And I'm like, guys, you think I can like call up Zuck? Yeah. And then tell him right. what to do with Meta? I wish. But because I disagree with something of, of that, like because I have concerns and I'm being punished doesn't mean I don't want to still be on there talking about these issues because at the end of the day, like it's it's a way I, I'm much more effective talking on Instagram right. than I am only talking to people who I know in real life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so why shouldn't I be? Using yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. The means don't. Yeah, it doesn't always justify. But certainly in this case, I don't know what the alternative is. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. newspapers. Yeah, exactly. You have also, you know, you found a really engaged audience, especially of mothers, as you said. Uh, before we end this, you know, what other issues other than gun safety do you find are really activating that community the most right now? Yeah. You know, one thing that I wish was activating them more, to be honest, is school boards really? <laughs> and library boards. Why do you think it's so, is it, why do you think it's hard to get people to connect to that? Yeah. You know, I think that because we haven't, we being like the political class have done a exceptionally poor job of talking about it and activating people. And it's because it's really hard. You know, there's no school boards for, you know, all of my time working in politics has been incredibly boring, nonpartisan and something no one ever talks about. And some really smart Republicans were sitting in a room together and they were like, mm, but why? Right. Like, right. let's take this over. And, you know, we saw them do this with ALEC and state legislatures. We saw them do this with the Federalist Society and the court system. And now it's Moms for Liberty and school boards. And we are still at a time when this can be stopped, when we can stop their takeover. Because the end goal, I think, you know, we've seen a lot of conversations about um, book banning and about treatments of trans kids, which are important issues. But the end goal of Moms for Liberty and their ilk is to end public education entirely. And they want to set up religious schools and voucher systems and have everything be privatized. And those schools are going to be able to discriminate. Yeah. They're not going to have to provide services with kids who need extra help. They're not going to have to provide ESL. They're not going to have to provide wheelchair access. None of that stuff, right? Because they don't care. Yeah. And they don't care about your kid. All they care about is their kid. And... Um, that is sort of their end goal. And it's so, so big. It's so hard to talk about. There's 81,000 school board seats in this country. It's, you can't, we can't run, a, I can't mm -hmm. run a campaign supporting, no. you know, people who run for school board. It's so challenging. And I don't have the Koch brothers money helping me hire 200 people to go through all of those things. I'm sure you're close. Yeah. <laughs> um, any day now they'll call me up. Um, you know, and they do have that, but yeah. I'll say Moms for Liberty was started in January 2021, and last cycle they won 30% of their races that they ran, according to Ballotpedia. That 
is so astronomically mm-hmm. successful. Yeah. I don't understand how we are underestimating these women's capacity to succeed. And I think it's really, really serious. And I think that we should be really, really worried about um, school and library boards and what the future of public education is going to look like in this country. And I think that part of the problem is people have criticisms of their school. And, you know, every time mm-hmm. I talk to a mom, there's something that of they're course, unhappy yeah. with. And I'm like, N- for surezies, right? Yeah. Like, but that doesn't mean we should destroy public education. Right. <laughs> um, and so the question is how. <laughs> um, or let that happen. Right. Yeah. yeah. So how, and, and, and I don't have an answer to this question. Like, how do we as political community communicators start talking about this issue? I'll say, like, that is a goal for me to figure out how to talk about this and get people more on board and figure out a more succinct way to do it. And it's something I'm working on. Um, and, you know, TBD, next mm-hmm. podcast I come on. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. Okay, so make sure that you call your congressperson and both of your senators before Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 14th. Take a picture, share it on your stories, get credit for doing it, hype yourself, and make sure you put up a reel. And Emily will be sharing on For Fact's Sake. You've got so many cool people. I mean, Sarah Barry Ellis. I know. Fangirl. Yeah, I was really excited. I'm a huge musicals nerd, so that was a real exciting moment of my life. Yeah, we've gotten so many people. Such a range, which is so cool. Right. And I also will say, like, normal people. Yes, right? of course. Tons and tons of people. They don't who are, know who's calling, whether it's John right. Stamos or... They don't. Um, you, you know, and who are willing to post these reels that we can put on the For Fact's Sake account, uh, which is incredibly exciting because people are taking time out of their really, really busy lives to help build this movement, which for me is, you know, what matters. Cause Especially because you've just been toiling, like literally <laughs> toiling as a person for a long time. Yes. It must be amazing. Just like, okay, they hear me. They like me. They're here. Yes. I yes. got them here. I'm yeah. definitely having a Sally Fields, they like yeah. me moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. So hopefully, you know, this is the first campaign of many. Yes. We, we have to figure it out. But, you know, the goal here is to figure out how to give people who love being on Instagram political campaigns that make them feel a part of something. Yeah. And that they can keep on Instagram, but also... Yeah. And also, I think making activism feel like a native part of your Instagram use, where it's like not weird to see an influencer share like a vacation pic and then like, okay, here's a fucked up election that's happening. Make sure you're getting engaged. So that's all kind of like part of our metabolism because that's that's what it's going to take. Thank you so much, Emily. We really appreciate you being here. Until the end of Democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman, and this is The Better Step Podcast. Bye. The Betches Up Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Rebecca Sasmacat. Editing by Rebecca Sasmacat. Social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Swartz. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails at suppod at Betches.com. Betches.